Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You running so This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the Internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Today, I'm going to be continuing with witness testimony in Courtney Coco's murder trial, which David Anthony Burns is on trial for second-degree murder of Courtney Coco. What I'm t- telling you are the facts that didn't come out in the news. I'm trying to give it to you word by word. I took shorthand as best I could. Sometimes I'll paraphrase it. 
things. I mean, if I'm making any mistakes, it's an it's an honest mistake. I don't think I have, but if I do, there it is. Um, so I love all you lifers. Thank you for sharing this series and all the real life real crime. And make sure you subscribe and share us and like us and go leave us a review on iTunes if uh, if if you feel so inclined. I'd appreciate it. Patreon convicts, love you so much. Thank you for your support. Uh, show couldn't run without you. All right. So stay tuned at the end of the show for some real life, real crime announcements. And let's get started. All right. So y'all, the next day we go into court before they're a little bit early before the jury comes in. And Hugo Holland is, by the way, he's just doing a phenomenal job, I think, on this trial. And, but he actually, you know, has come up to me a couple of times and was talking to me or whatever. And he came and he sat by me and there's not a lot of people in the courtroom yet. And he said, you know, Woody, he said, I'm like you, I think. And he said, I, said, I keep waking up in the middle of the night thinking about all the different things. You know, he, he said, I'm still learning as I go, you know? Uh, um, and I told him, Mr. Hugo, this is not a ask kiss statement. I said, I think you're the best I've ever seen at a trial. You know what he said? He said, well, I'm certainly giving my all. I said, there's no doubt about that, brother. And he got up and walked away. Um, David Anthony Burns, attorney, LaCour, came in. He's wearing a brown suit and with a vest. And, and, David Anthony Burns came in and he's wearing a white shirt and, and black pants and Hugo had on a black suit. So jury comes in, they, they seat him, uh, go on the record. And then first witness Hugo calls is Miss Anna Laborde. Now y'all, Anna Laborde is the grandmother I never had. Mine were all deceased, right? Um, I call her Ma affectionately. She was like, 40-something years at, uh, union rep for the Department of Corrections. Little bitty tiny thing. Heart of gold. Uh, best lady in the world. I love her to pieces. All right? And I call her mom. But anyway, they call Miss Island Laborde to stand. I remember the day before, um, Michelle had testified about the comfort of being missing and the rags and the dryer and all that stuff. But the, um, also the lady, Miss Charlene, I believe her name was, testified that David Anthony Burns told her he wrapped her up in plastic, right, and dumped her in Texas. Now, heretofore, it's always been the comforter, and the comforter was missing. Now, Miss Ina, when she was sitting in court, well, she had something to say about the plastic, and I'm going to tell you. So, Hugo says, who are you? And she said, I'm Courtney's grandmother. He said, when was the last time you were in Courtney's house before she was killed? Miss Anna, uh, oh, yeah, before she was killed. And Miss Anna says, I was, a, I was a, in her home three weeks before the murder. And in her, he said, would you go in the bathroom? She said, yes. And he said, what did you, you know, see in the bathroom? She said she had a shower curtain a plastic shower curtain, and it had fish and shells on it. He said, well, well, after the murder, when y'all went to collect 
the items from her home, what did you see? She says, when we went to collect our items three weeks later after the murder, she says, I went into the bathroom and I saw the shower curtain was not there. He said, so three weeks before it was there and three weeks later it's not. After the, three weeks before the murder, the shower curtain is there. You see it. She said, yes. And he said, three weeks later, you're there and it's not there. And she said, yes. He tenders a witness. Um, the court gets up and says, during the time that, that uh, David Anthony Burns and Lace were together, they were together for a long time. She said, yeah. He said, he said, you were in court when Lace testified? She said, yes. And he said, you are the one that informed someone the shower curtain was missing. Sina said, yes. He's, he's, she said, I told Michelle. And he said, well, you never told anyone else. He said, what about Seamus Settlers? She said, I, I never told anybody else because I didn't think it was important. Has no more, no further questions, right? So that basically the uh, Miss Ina was in court and, the, and, and she was like, oh my God, plastic. The shower curtain was remembered. She, y'all, she didn't making it up. Very religious lady. I'm just telling you, she wasn't making it up. So that Hugo had to answer that before LaCour brought it up. Now, the next witness they call is a gentleman by the name of Seamus Setliff. Okay? Seamus Setliff is a character, to say the least. Now, wait until you hear this shit. All right? Seamus Setliff takes a stand, and Hugo says, uh, um, you know, who are you, Seamus Setliff? How many times have you been married? He said, I've been married twice. He said, were you ever married to Tiffany Cedars? He said, yeah, 13 years between 2001 and 2013. He said, do you know David Anthony Burns? He said, yeah. Um, he said, were you and David Anthony Burns friends in 2004? He said, we've been friends my whole life. Yeah, I know. He said, well, what about Courtney? You know her? He said, yeah, I knew her since she was in diapers. He said, well, with you with her, at the L.A. Dunes riding four-wheelers on, on a camping trip. He said, yeah. And, and he said, well, what are the dunes? He said, that's a place where we all went and rode four-wheelers. And the Hugo stops, and he, he wants to play a video. Remember I told you all Lace had gotten the camera, and it's a video. It shows Courtney in a red... Uh, bra and, and some shorts and she says something to the effect of the camera oh, sorry mom we, we forgot our bathing suits or whatever uh, um, and Seamus is sitting on a four wheeler Courtney's standing with her back to her and he kind of pulls her to her and he's messing with something like a tag on the back and she's like oh he's just fixing my tag and they're giggling or whatever and that's it okay and, and he said was that y'all at the day and she said yeah and he said, was that Lace talking in the video? And um, Seamus said something, and Hugo said, let me finish. He said, when was the video made? And Seamus said, like, the month before uh, the Labor Day. It was Labor Day weekend. He said, so the date and the time on the video is not correct? And he said, well, I remember because I had uh, – a bad four wheeler accident. Said other than the he said other than the Dunes trip, have you seen 
Burns with Courtney. Seamus says, yeah, she was a pretty girl. Hugo says, don't make me get ugly. He said, was there something going on? And LaCour stands up and ejects, and the judge overrules LaCour. And um, so Hugo said, was there something going on with Burns and, and Courtney? Hugo's getting upset with Seamus, right? Seamus is being very evasive, y'all, on the stand. And the, um, he basically, Hugo says, he said, what did Burns tell you about Courtney's death? He said, well, he told me on a cell phone a week after death. Um, it was, he called and let me know uh, about her body. And he said her, his mom knew about that and that he, that he did murder Coco. So Hugo's getting pissed now, y'all, because Seamus is like, Evidently not telling him what he told him the week before we interviewed him in his office. He said, well, when I interviewed you uh, before you left my office. And he said, he said, listen, he said, Tiffany recorded me and gave it to y'all. He said, do you know that Byrne used the blanket to wrap Courtney up and took a blanket to his mother? And Seamus is like whatever. And he said, did Burns describe what Courtney's body looked like? And Seamus said, well, it was black. That's all I know. He said, did you learn from Burns what Courtney's body looked like? He said, no. He said, where were you when Courtney was murdered? He said, I, I stayed at my house on Fraser Road. Tiffany Allen, he said, Tiffany, I lived in Lake Charles, and he said, I was in Rapids when she was killed. He said, okay, well, who did you work for during that time? He said, I worked for Lafayette Drug Company, and I delivered stuff to convenience stores. And he said, he said you're based, your home was based out of Lake Charles? And he said, he said yeah. He said, was Winnie not part of? Was Winnie, Texas part of your delivery route? He said, no. Uh-uh. Um, he said, no. Uh-uh. And he said, so you never had to get picked up in Winnie, Texas? He said, I've never been to Winnie, Texas. He said, you never had to get picked up in Winnie, Texas uh, while, in, while in your work, man. He said, no. He said, did you tell the police your route took you through Winnie? He said, did you tell the police you were on the road Courtney was found on? Seamus says, yes. He said, I was on the road three times Courtney was murdered. He said, did you tell them that you passed the building that weekend? He said, I went Monday morning. He said, how did you learn what Courtney's body looked like when she was recovered? He said, Woody, the podcaster. He said, did you tell your wife, that she was blue from the waist up? He said, yes. He said, did you tell the police that Burns took the blanket to his mom and washed it? Seamus said, no. He said, Courtney's been dead how long? Seamus said, 20 years. He said, first time you let anyone know about this blanket was related until... You told me? He said, 
do you know Billy Earhart? He said, yeah, he's my best friend. He said, when Courtney was killed, where was he living? He said, uh, not, not for me. He said, but did he own a silver Mustang? He said, no, it was red. It was laser red. He said, I don't want to have, Hugo said, I don't want to have to drag your kids in here to testify, uh, Mr. Setliff. And, and basically they were going back and forth. All right. Now let me interject here on the recording that Tiffany Caesars did that, that we turned over to Alexandria police department that when she was questioning him, he said, I think like six times in three minutes that Burns did it. And he said that, uh, all he knew is she was looked like she had been beat to hell from the waist up. Now y'all, her body was badly decomposed and her head was black and all that. And he said that, and that had never been released to the public. Okay. And so he's trying to say now that he learned about that on the podcast from me. Bullshit. You, you told you told your then wife that she was beat. Look, looked like she had been beat from hell from the waist up. Y'all, there was no way he could have known that. No way, unless he had seen it. So anyway, they, they go back and forth and, and just hammering on him. So the LaCour gets up and re- redirect. He says, Mr. Settler, did you want to be with Courtney? He said, no, I dated, I dated her sister, but uh, no, I, I, I don't want to date her. He said, but you tell the cops three different stories. You, you gave them three different statements. He said, did you take back everything you said just three weeks ago? He said, why are you up here if you're a liar? Seamus says, because I got a subpoena. He said, did your wife find panties in saran wrap and say you smelled the worst ever, that you had the smell of death on you? He said, oh, I, I was on a camping trip. I, I may have smelled bad. And he, he said, okay, the Mustang. You said it was laser red. He said, you put yourself where the body was found. You passed by that building three times. And then Seamus says, no, I ain't never been to Winnie, Texas. Yeah, was, y'all, he's fucking lying, right? He, he, he gave one statement to Hugo. He's giving another one to the core. He's going back and forth. He, he knows his ass is in a crack. And the one thing that never changes is the truth. So Hugo gets up on redirect and says, when was the first time you told the cops Burns told you he killed Courtney Coco? He was like, I don't know. And he said, was the last time you talked to Sergeant State Police, did you did you tell him anything about the body? It's like, no, I don't know. Whatever. Right. And and Hugo did good getting in his ass, but the he's been compromised as a witness. Uh, he lied. Everybody knew he was lying. But guess what? It's still where if a witness is a liar and piece of shit, it doesn't mean he's lying about everything. Okay. He obviously couldn't have known about the condition of the body if he didn't have personal knowledge. Or let's say worst case scenario is Burns told him. But he he got on the stand and testified that Burns told him he killed her. And then but then he lied and said he'd never been to Winnie, Texas. Then he lied and said, Well, but I passed by the, the body three times and then 
Um, and then he lied and said, I've never been away to Texas, right? And it, and it goes, but you know, he lied about coming home smelling like the smell of death, whatever. Fuck you, Setliff. That's what I got to say about it. So the next witness is Tiffany Cedars. And they bring her in, they swear in and all that. And Hugo asks her, said, do you want to be here? She said, I do not want to be here. He said, who's Seamus to you? She said, it's my ex-husband. Um, he said, tell me about that weekend. She says, Seamus wasn't home. She said, I have no idea where he was. But he came home Sunday night, early, like 2 or 3 in the morning. And we argued about him not coming home. His mom called and said he was in a four-wheeler wreck and was injured from the four-wheeler the same weekend he did that according to the spirit and that her body was found. But she said he stunk really bad and I told him to take a shower and put his clothes in the wash machine. He asked me to go in his work van and get his shaving kit. And that's when I found panties and a full like he had been smoking dope on it. Uh, and the panties weren't mine. He told me the panties belonged to Misty Hutchinson or somebody like that, y'all. But I, she said, I'm not sure. He said, do you know anything about his, Hugo asked, do you know anything about his route? What, uh, that it went through Winnie, Winnie uh, Beaumont? She said, he called me um, because he had to go to the Winnie Hospital. He said, did you, Hugo said, did you have a, a chance to record the conversation. And she said, yeah, I record it for, for Raffman who was with Woody. And he said, so you never met Woody. Uh, you don't know Woody. And she said, yeah, I met him one time. Uh, actually he said, so if Woody's in a courtroom right now, I mean, he said, he said, who's Raffman? Was that some kind of sidekick? And, and she said, well, I met Woody one time and, um, so the truth of the matter is, y'all, that's when uh, Jim was on the show and he actually had communications with her. And I told Jim to tell her to get him to record it. And she did. And I drove through the night to pick up, meet her with uh, Courtney's uncle that was a U.S. Marshal. And we got her cell phone with the recording on it and turned it over to police. That's the truth of the matter. So that's where he said she was beat to death and the family's going to be upset when they find out who did it and all that. Uh, beat black and blue from the waist up. So Burns had a blanket. His mom washed it in lace and Burns did it for the money and her body was black from the waist up. And the family would be shocked when they learned who did it. And then he asked her about a silver Mustang. Now remember y'all that Charlene Burns told Charlene a silver Mustang was involved and she said Billy drove a silver Mustang. And that was Billy was uh, Seamus's ride or die. LaCour gets up and says, Do you have any personal knowledge of the death of Courtney? He said, She said, No. All I know is what Seamus told me. He said, Did Seamus lie and cheat a lot? She said, Yes. He said, The Mustang being Billy's, he Seamus said it was laser red, and you testified it was silver. She said, he drove a Mustang with silver. He said, did he drive it during that time? He said, when you record it, Seamus, were you trying to set him up? She said, I was asked to record. He said, were you aware 
he recanted his statements? She said, yes. Said you you talking to police about what he said? Would you do it because you were angry? She said no. And he said, "Do you have any personal knowledge whatsoever about Courtney's death?" She said, "Only what came from Seamus." She's dismissed. Bye bye. All right. So the next one up, y'all, is Detective Tanner Dryden. Tanner Dryden. Is a detective with the Alexander Police Department who investigated Courtney Coco's case in 2019. Once I handed all the stuff back to him uh, through Courtney's uncle, the the uh, retired U.S. Marshal. So he would ask him. Uh, oh, now he he said, "You're no longer a detective for Alexander Police Department." He said, "No, he works at wherever." He said, "Was it you?" The show Clyde Griffin, a picture of Ernest Veal, a.k.a. Prince, and he, uh, he said, yeah. So he puts up the photo lineup on the screen and asked Ryden, he said, um, can you point out who he is? Talking about Prince. And he pointed he pointed out a black male, and he said, that's Jitty. Well, y'all, the problem with that is – Jitty was Courtney's boyfriend. That's not Ernest Veal. And then he, you know, refreshed his memory. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's right. That's, that's Prince. So then they asked him about the lineup for, for Jude Wilson uh, um, that what Burns was picked out of. Now, and he showed him. He said, yeah, that's he's the one he picked him out of. So the court gets up, starts questioning him, and I'm paraphrasing things, y'all. He said, when you took over this case, uh, what year was it? He said, 2019. Was it, he said, was it you that developed Jude Wilson as, um, as a witness? Dryden says, yes. He said, do you recall original statement to Cambridge County Sheriff's Office and the list date as September 27th? He said, yes. He said, well, we determined that was not correct. He said, do you recall during your interview that on September 27th, Courtney Coco was alive. And he says, so that's not an, 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 if that date's correct, then, then Jude Wilson got it wrong and, and she was alive. He said, look, basically he didn't have an explanation for it. He said, do you remember him saying it was a Monday or Tuesday? He's talking about Jude Wilson of the rice festival. He said, no, he said it was the weekend of the Rice Festival. And he gave Tanner a statement to review to refresh his memory. And um, and Tanner reads it, and he said, did he not tell you it was Monday or Tuesday? And Tanner said, well, that's what the statement says. Uh, he said, well, you told him it was Monday, October 4th. Tanner says, okay, yes, sir. He said, after learning that, would it have helped you establish a date? He explained right here he was incorrect with with Coco's car the day following. He said he was on the news. He said, "Did you determine the dates of the rice festival?" Tanner said. Tanner says, "I was not able to determine the dates of the rice festival." The core gets out the rice festival pamphlet and he shows it to him. And then 
interested in evidence, whatever. And the dates are set. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process, you pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Sayonara. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro Pro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro Pro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this. And you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astapro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those rows, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. September 24th to October 3rd. And he said, Tanner, can't you get the date, date right there? And it, uh, um, and then, and then they, y'all, I'm fucking, I'm not going to read all this bullshit to you. They went back and forth about this fucking date. Tanner, you know, he said, what date 
how many days, if, if the September 27th date was correct, how many days before that is for October 4th, Tanner and him hauled, and then they made me count backwards, they count backwards with me, something to that effect. And what at the end of the thing was LaCour saying that the statement, the original one he gave, Jude Wilson gave, was dated September 27th, and Cordy Cook had to be alive, right? So he couldn't possibly ID him and all that good shit. Um, and LaCour ate Tanner's ass about why, why can't, why couldn't you figure out what the dates were, uh, the rice festival when I did, all I did was Google it. And Tanner says, no, he told me it was wrong. Uh, the date that was wrong on, on the statement, Hugo objected. And anyway, it goes on and he says in the original statement, did he say he, he could not see inside the vehicle? Tanner said, yes. He said, did you ask him, uh, to draw a profile? And did he not tell you he didn't see the full picture of the face? Tanner says, yes. And said, you got a lineup was shown to him, and David Anthony Burns was picked out, even though he said he didn't get a look at, at full facial features. And Tanner said, yes. He said, do you remember him saying he had a flat chin? Tanner said, I didn't make the lineup. He said, well, you spoke with Jude over the phone, then took a statement, and then went to Texas to show him a lineup. And Tanner said, "No, I didn't. I never showed him a lineup." So he tendered the witness. I'm paraphrasing y'all. So Hugo gets up on redirect, and says, "Tell the jury what is the protocol that has been developed by Alexandria Police Department for showing a six pack or a photo lineup." Um, Tanner says, "If a detective is working an investigation." and they develop a suspect, they get another detective to put together a photo lineup in, um, with the suspect in it. But they don't know anything about the case. Then they get they give that photo lineup to another detective that doesn't even know if a suspect's in the six-pack or not, and that detective shows the photo lineup to the to potential witness. And that way it takes out any bias, y'all. Now, I really don't understand that because when we did it, we simply called the state police and said, this is a suspect. The state police had a computer-generated program. They pulled up five guys that looked just like the suspect. I mean, just like some of the times when I knew who the suspect was, I couldn't tell them apart. But this is their system. Okay, I think it's a good system, but outdated, obviously. But anyway, um, so that's what they do. So they go to Texas and the the another detective now Tanner's there, but another detective actually showed the lineup to Jude Wilson. Jude Wilson said, "That's him, David Anthony Burns. That's him." He picked him out of the photo lineup. What sixteen years later, y'all? You talk about. I mean, remember the math professor? And it's like there's no way. It's statistically impossible. And anyway, so they get rid of Tanner. They dismiss him, and Hugo gets Lace Evans back on the stand. Now, this is Courtney's sister. Y'all, I told you about her testimony in the last episode. He said, Lace, I want you to look into the eyes of this jury, and I want you to answer this question. Did you have anything to do with Courtney Coco, your sister's murder? And she looked at him, and she was crying. Y'all started crying. She said, I had nothing 
to do with the murder of my sister. So Hugo then calls the Dr. Tim Scanlon, okay? Dr. Tim Scanlon is retired. Uh, over, he was oversaw the Jefferson Parish Crime Lab in Louisiana. Now, Jefferson Parish, y'all, it's got to be one of the largest parishes and certainly the most populated. It surrounds New Orleans, all right? And that's where, I mean, I've gone to autopsies there, and, and they have their own crime lab. So he's, he talks about how he came up through the crime lab as a crime tech and crime scene tech and all that. And then he got expert in crime scene reconstruction. And he went on to get his Ph.D. And um, he's testified as an expert witness 127 times. He's he's. He's retired now. He did twenty. He does uh, defense consulting now. He's also said DNA experts are in the lab, and the crime scene analysts actually go to the scene. He said he's been to seventy-two crime scenes as a reconstructionist. This is not the ones he went out on y'all as as a tech. He said they they always refer to other documents to make sure that. They're using the best practices. And Hugo, the family had to leave the courtroom again because he's going to show the crime scene photographs of Courtney's body again and how she was positioned. So he puts up the picture on the screen. He said, are you familiar uh, with the physical statues? uh, Oh, I'm sorry, with the psychological psychological studies on posing corpses. But something's done with a corpse afterwards, and it's possible three things. One, it's it, it, this body's position to demean the victim. Two, it's for shock factor. And um, three, it's to make police try to believe there's a sexual a- aspect to the crime to cover it up. The He starts to question about Courtney's thing. He said, first of all, Dr. Scanlon says this. He says, First of all, I, and, you know, it's a harsh word, but we call it a dump site, all right? He said Courtney's body was, the dump site was easily found. Almost, it was presumed that they wanted the body to be found, whoever put her there. So the bottom half of her clothes are missing and the arms are outstretched. So it's manipulating and the legs are spread apart. She was dead, so she didn't do that to herself. He says, if, if they're is a relationship between the victim and the defendant, does it make this a stage scene? Dr. Scanlon says, yes. And then he, he asked him, he said, what, what did you do when I asked you to review this case? Dr. Scanlon said, I studied the file. I reviewed the medical records and, and dated September 23rd, uh, 2004. And Courtney Coco went to the health unit and she had an infectious disease. And I take an overview of the scene and um, and what they collected for evidence. And he's Hugo says, "Are you aware they took a glove and a rag?" He said, "Yeah, but it's not related to the crime scene. They took that from outside the the garage, uh, and you know DNA testing was done or whatever. Nothing came back on it." He said, "Typically, when we do a crime scene, we rope off a." a much larger area would take anything we can just in case there are, you know, can develop a suspect from it. So 
the primary scene is the location of the criminal act. Um, search scene is is everything else. The body was found decomposed in the warehouse, um, plus one or more vehicles would had to been used. She was killed in her house because of no comforter and the mattress having been lifted on top of the bulletin board, holding it up, and she couldn't have slept in the bed in that position. If jury has heard, uh, Hugo says, if jury has heard evidence that Courtney slept in a shirt and a bra and in panties, it consist, uh, that consistent was she, was she was ready for bed? He said yes. He asked about the lockbox and that was found out and open with nothing in it. Um, he said he didn't pay any attention to that or to the trash can because the house had been locked up and the cats had to eat and the uh, cats could have turned the trash can over. And But somebody had to be to move the body. Uh, fingerprints of DNA, he said basically people, you know, It's hard to get fingerprints off of anything because you get, most of the time you just get smudges, and that's a fact, y'all, because the oil smudge and the DNA, it could be anybody's DNA, like anybody that ever visited Courtney's house or anybody that ever been in her car or whatever, so it's not really significant one way or another. So he asked about Fred Landry. He said, so if Fred Landry's DNA was found on, on the trunk latch with Courtney's as a mixture would that be significant? He said, no, they, they were uh, supposedly in a relationship and he's admitted to being in and out of her car. That, that's, you know, incidental. Said, you got to ask him about rock rentals. He said, rock rentals, and we call them crack rentals, y'all, or crack loaners. He said, rock rentals are vehicles that are traded for drugs. Um, so Hugo said, what about cigarette butts in, in Coco's car? They were tested for DNA, et cetera. He said, that car had been in numerous people's possession. They were able to prove that, but since Courtney had been killed, so anything in there really doesn't do anything, including if Burns's DNA had been found in the car, it wouldn't have matter because he had been in the car before. It says that it wouldn't it even mattered if they got the DNA from the steering wheel, et cetera, because multiple people had driven the car. So Hugh said, what, what if laces? or Burns' fingerprints or DNA are in her house or her car. Would it be important? doctor says no. That In real life, prints are smudged and unusable most of the time. DNA has to be a certain amount, and it's hard to get the right amount of DNA. But if, you know, he said, like, uh, if I give you my cell phone to use and you use it just for a second and you hand it back to me, the DNA, most likely the DNA uh, off your hand hadn't been built up, and I wouldn't be able to get a swab of it. He said, but if I'm the only one to use it all day long, then, yeah, my, my DNA swab would be relevant. Um, he said, what is the reason to go, Hugo asked him, what's the reason to go to an autopsy? He said, well, we're there for the exchange of information or the infam- to give informa- information to the pathologist. And he said, it's vital the pathologist studies the body for evidence to the crime, et cetera. But he wants the pathologist to, wants to have as much information about how the body was found, the location, look at photographs, uh, do all this stuff 
and so they could try to tell the story, right? And now, at the same time, when the pathologist is doing autopsy, the investigators get information back from the pathologist, and they try to put it together, put the pieces of the puzzle together. And, I mean, he's going back to the pictures and and talked about the bag hands. He would do that in case there was any DNA on their fingernails, and there wasn't. any anybody's but hers, and he says that's significant. He said, "No, absolutely not. It, it doesn't prove anything one way or another." He said, "You seen the evidence of, of no DNA being on it there?" He said, that "Doesn't mean she didn't fight. It's just saying there's no evidence there of it. So no no signature of evidence." Uh, he says, "Hugo says so. If there's no signature evidence on any females." Should the jury, you know, take that one way or another? He said, absolutely not. He said, Hugo asked, have you heard of cases where uh, the neck bone or the highway bone is not broken? He said, I've worked a lots of homicides uh, by strangulation or fi- asphyxiation and found many without the neck bone being broken, typically in younger uh, adults. Hugo says, did you tell me last night at dinner uh, my neck could easily be broken? And he said, yeah, I did tell you that. And they had a little chuckle, right? And Hugo says, what evidence has, what what evidence have you that there's more than one car? And he said, the Texas Rangers said there was some of DNA, Courtney's DNA in the trunk but the, the, her car didn't stink. He said if, if, that, if her body had been that temperature and that, that badly decomposed, nobody would have been able to drive the car. It would have stunk that bad. He said, plus, there was a tire track recovered in the dust by her body, and it did not match Courtney's car. Right? And then, um, then he talked about using luminol to spray the trunk and stuff like that. And that's where they found two small DNA samples. And he said, that's not, I mean, it was her car. It could be anything. But if maybe she was put in there immediately after killed, but she definitely was not transported in that car because the smell would have been unbearable. And he said, like I said, he looked at the tracks of the tires and looked at it and had Louisiana State Police analyzed them and they said the tire tracks at the scene did not match Courtney Coco's car. So two people had to drive, necessarily two people in the scene though. So one person could have pulled in, dumped the body, and and pulled out. The other one could have been waiting on them to follow him to Houston. It, so Hugo says because we only found one uh, tire print, does that mean anything? The, the Does that mean there was only one person there? And the doctor says no. Well, Cor gets up and cross the record and says, Doc, I'm confused. I'm going to paraphrase for y'all. I said, so Fred Landry, DNA mixed with Courtney's on the trunk of the car. How do you know it's not significant? And he said, if they're having a relationship, then he's been in a car. You can't prove it's significant one way or another. And he said, about the cause of death, Doc, or the manner of death. The pathologist said the manner of death was undetermined means in the manner of death is is a word on a legal document. Uh, 
the doc says this, the manner of death is, is a, a legal word on a document. The cause of death is an explanation. And due to the cause of death being undetermined, he said, for example, it, due to the cause of death being undetermined, you had to rule it out and, and call it asphyxiation. He said, for example, if I find a body, a, a skeleton in the woods, and it's got its hands roped behind its back, right? And 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 we can't rule out any uh, blunt force. We rule out blunt force trauma or anything else. When then that that causes undetermined, but it's still a homicide, right? I mean, they didn't tie their own hands behind their back and do whatever. And so he goes on about asphyxia. Uh, Lacour said, "Well, asphyxiation was a guess by him." And the doc says, "No, no, guess is not the right word to use." He said, "Well, it's an educated guess. He wrote it. He wrote it down." And he said, "He said, well, doc, you can't eliminate the possibility of two people being there." He said, "No, the." Physical evidence, putting her car at the crime scene, there's no physical evidence doing that. So so the clothes she was wearing was in her bedroom, so that then they would have had to redress her. He said there were no for, signs of forced entry on the home. She, she may have let the person in. Of course, says, well, still, uh, you know, uh, letting her in at home shouldn't, shouldn't have been some DNA. DNA, uh, nothing is 100% accurate. And the, uh, LaCour's still going at, at the doctor. And he says, well, LaCour says, well, we, we still can't say her her body was done at the crime scene. No, nothing is 100% accurate. And the doctor said, well, you know what? There's much better ways to hide a body than, than where Courtney was found. And her body was badly to combine. Badly decomposed. There's no way she was there unnoticed for two days. LaCour questions and says, have you been to the scene where it was at? And he said, no, I haven't been there. And he's, you know, talking about dumping a body and uh, does rigor mortis make a body. It make could rigor mortis make Courtney's limbs curl up her legs, you know, come up in the air and her arms spread out like that. And the doctor said, no way. He said, I have to defer to the pathologist, but rigor mortis sets in after a couple of hours and gets hard, and then it relaxes again, sets in again, and it relaxes. He said, there's no way uh, uh, that rigor mortis did that, period. And he says, LaCour says, well, you say she was in a sex position. Uh, um, you, know, you know, her legs spread and arms out, and that she was moved after she was dumped. And the doctor says, there's no way that she could spread her long arms out like that and raise her legs like that, point her bare vagina at the road after death, period. Hugo gets up, redirects, says, is there any other reasonable explanation but sexual motive? And the doctor says, no. He says, um, you know, her, her car, Hugo says, her car wasn't there. He said, have you worked homicides where killers hide bodies? And, and Doc said, yeah, I worked a bunch of them. Yeah, they could hide it behind a dumpster or whatever. He said, is it your opinion that Courtney's body was being hidden? The doctor says, if they were trying to hide her body, they were doing a really bad job of it. And there was no way rigor 
can make this happen. Y'all, I'm going to make this one run long. Next witness is Miss Stephanie Belgar, Courtney's mama. She said, I'm going to paraphrase it. She said, I'm Courtney's mama, and I've waited over 18 years to do to take the stand. Um, she said, before lunch, I got the call, and Jitty was Floyd Williams Jr. was her boyfriend. Um, he said, did you hear LaCour say Courtney only dated black men? Stephanie said, yeah. And she, uh, she showed a picture of Courtney's boyfriend from high school. He was a white guy, and then they showed it to the jury and all that. She said, is there any truth to that? And she said, no. I mean, she dated whomever she dated, right? Not only black men. And she she told about everything I've told y'all or, or you heard on the podcast about the last time she saw Courtney when they were going squirrel hunting and uh, she gave her a few dollars and told her come feed her dogs and told her to take the loaf of bread, comes home, that the dogs hadn't been fed, um, gets a phone call from from Cedric Green the, the, the day after on Monday saying, you know, they found a body with Courtney's ring on it, et cetera. And she fell to the floor and he asked her about, he showed the picture of the uh, damage to Courtney's car on the front. And he said, was it like that that day when, when you um, last saw her? She said, no, absolutely not. She wouldn't have rode around with her car damaged. And she asked, he asked her about the t-shirt and underwear and bra Sometimes she slept in, and Stephanie was crying. Stephanie said, "She, my baby girl, got bad migraines, and Mama would lay down with her sometimes and hold her and rub her head for her. And I noticed that she had a bra, and she's like, "Baby, why don't you take your bra off and get comfortable?" And they were in a dark room, and and she said, "But most times she did wear a bra to bed." And so he was like, "So you're just a mama taking care of your baby girl?" And she said, "Yeah." LaCour gets up, and y'all, this is the shittiest thing I've ever seen. He, he starts hammering Stephanie on race. He said, isn't it true? And I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm not reading this shit. He said, isn't it true your daughter only dated black men? She said, no. And he said, well, that picture you showed the jury or that the Hugo showed the jury was a white guy. Uh, was that her prom or his prom? And uh, um she said her prom. He was like, well, isn't it true that she moved out as soon as she was 18 because she liked to date black men and you don't like her dating black men? She said, no. She said, isn't it true that's a bone of contention that you don't like your daughter mixing races? You don't want your, you didn't want your daughter dating black men. She said, no. And she, I mean, he was hammering on it. He said, uh, on the race, he just kept making it about race. He was like, you know, it's black men, and, and you didn't like your daughter dating black men, and you know she was dating a bunch of black men. She didn't date no white men. And I'm, I'm thinking, what the fuck are you doing this for? The fucking defendant's white, right? And 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 that he's hammering her and and uh, on it over and over again. And I mean, Stephanie's sitting there crying. And I, I'm thinking he didn't go this hard on Lace. He didn't go this hard on Michelle or I'm a sign or anybody. And he is playing the race card times a billion. He, he wanted to paint Stephanie as a racist, and she's not, y'all. And so when basically Lacour quit, Hugo gets up. Uh, uh, oh no, Stephanie said to him, he said, "I I wouldn't have cared if they were purple." 
black, yellow, or green. He said, I, the problem I had was my, the men she was dating were taking advantage of her. Right. And, uh, um, Hugo gets up on a redirect and says, so you didn't have a problem with whatever race she dated. You had a problem with your daughter being taken advantage of. And Steph said, yeah, I, I'm Woody Overton. You host real life, real crime, the podcast, um, Lopa, be an organ donor. Go to lopa.org to sign up. If you're a lifer from Istanbul and you want to become an organ donor, you don't have to be from Louisiana. Go to lopa.org, take, fill out the two-minute thing, um, become one, be a hero, give it a gift of life. Thank you, Patreon convicts. Thank you, all lifers. Love y'all. I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder by You. Peace. Yeah, the rights remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park